When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we are continuing our, our previews. Uh, we are almost or over halfway there. Up this door for today's episode is the Kansas State Wildcats. To help me do that, coming back to the show, Ryan Gilbert of GoPowerCat.com. Ryan, how are you doing today? Doing good, Andy. It's good to talk with you. I know it's been a while, but good to talk with you about uh, some football here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually good to really start talking about football. We've had way too much just random stuff happening over the summer. Been a much busier summer than I actually thought it was going to be. Um, so we're going to blast through all of these here in our what we're still calling the season premiere week, which is actually stretching into two weeks because we have so many previews to do. But um, so this this team here, this Kansas State team, I think last year really had some issues mainly because of injuries to quarterback. But in, in terms of what you can actually take from this Kansas State team that happened last year, like what were the major lessons that you learned about Chris Kleiman in his second year with, with the Wildcats? Well, you mentioned the quarterback situation, and that's obviously goes without saying that when you lose your starting quarterback, it's not only an important position on the field to lose a guy like Skylar Thompson, but a guy like Skylar Thompson um, to be lost for a season that really uh, hurt K-State. Um, the COVID issues, I mean, every, every team was dealing with it, but I think that that with a second year coach, you know, kind of went against them more than maybe some other teams, perhaps the offensive line. We learned that they were really young. They're going to have to step up next year if they want to improve and win some games. Um, Courtney Messingham, the offensive coordinator, caught his fair, his fair share of criticism last year with his play calling and some stuff like that. So it was really just a combination of a lot of things. And really, you look at the wide receiver group. I'd say that's one of the biggest, if not the biggest group of, of players on Kansas State's roster that needs to step up this year if they want to win some games. Uh, Malik Knowles was supposed to be their best player last year, and he simply was not on the same page um, as the coaching staff. There were some locker room issues there, and I think they got it you know, balanced out. Malik Knowles is going to be back. He's, he's all in, 100% in from what I've heard. So it was a lot of things. I don't think you can pinpoint it on one specific thing. It was just kind of a snowball effect in one thing led to the next and you know a quarterback goes out and then you have a COVID issue and then your locker room has some issues in there so it just you know I think I think probably with one or two maybe even three games left in the season I think Chris Kleiman kind of just called it quits and said hey you know this is the COVID season we're going to go through the motions but I think he kind of accepted what was going on you look at the Iowa State game the Texas game where they just got completely blown out in those two games it was pretty obvious that you know, they they realized it was the COVID year and we're all going to turn the page and, you know, nobody's going to really remember that year except for the national champion. And even then, I think there's going to be an asterisk next to that for till the end of time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things last year, you know, it, it started out really weird with that game against Arkansas State, which 
You know, I mean, that was just crazy enough. I think everybody who was in a similar sort of situation, because we saw this all over the place, you know, where you played an opponent that had their entire spring football and you didn't really have any spring football. That was a huge disadvantage for them. But they were to bounce back really quick against, you know, at, at Oklahoma. Um, I, I, w- I was honestly surprised just how much the offensive line struggled, especially since the prior year, you know, it looked like they were going to pick up where Bill Snyder seems left off and just have a super fantastic offensive line that really kind of dominated the line of scrimmage, which, which they, they did the prior year. And it seemed like they weren't able to carry that over. How much of that was, you know, Chris Kleiman's system is, is different or how much of it was just COVID or other things that kind of really hurt the offensive line last year? Well, I, I only played football one year in my life, so I don't know how much I can talk about this, but you gotta, you gotta think that offensive line work is very, you know, rinse and repeat. It's the same sort of blocking. I mean, obviously there's some things you can throw in there. So I don't know how much of it really had to do with, with coach climate. I think they were just super young. And uh, obviously, you know, when you throw in Will Howard back there behind them, it was just a, a very young, a lot of mis, you know, miscommunication stuff like that was going on. So, um, I would say just they were young and I don't know if it's a, a, a climbing thing or a Snyder thing. They did this, they did that. I think they were just young. I don't know if that really answers your question, but it was just a young group. And I think they're, you know, they're going to be a lot better this year. And if they want to be good, they're going to have to be a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So, so I think that kind of leads us directly in because like you said, it, it, it was a COVID year. There probably isn't a lot to really take away from that. So let's, let's jump into the offense what we can expect from the offense. I think obviously the biggest difference is going to be the fact that Will Howard is not going to be starting the majority of the year for you. <laughs> Skylar Thompson will be, you know, in there. How much of a difference is it? Like what, what does Skylar Thompson bring to this offense that makes it so much different than when Will Howard is back there playing? Well, before we go any further, Will Howard, I don't know if you even know this, but it's kind of been under the radar this summer. It's starting to come to light that he might be playing a little bit this year, whether that's in a third down package or a goal line package or a, a, um, a wildcat formation, whatever it may be. Howard, from what we're hearing from the coaches and, and players is that he's actually made, you know, if you ask anyone on the team who's who's had the biggest improvement in the offseason, it's Will Howard. So as abysmal as he looked last year, and I don't mean to bash him because he was so young and got thrown into fire, you know, as bad as he looked last year, he has made some significant steps forward this off seasons, but it's still Skylar Thompson's job. Let's not get that twisted. You know, Thompson's not going to want to come back for his extra COVID year. If there is a legitimate threat, you know, from Will Howard, it's Thompson's job. Um, and I forget what the question even was at this point, you're going to have to, oh, just I got off track what, what, what difference there is in terms of when Skylar Thompson uh, is leading yes, the offense yes. versus Will Howard. Yeah. I think just, I mean, the morality of the team mentally, you know, having Thompson out there is just huge. You know, Howard, was able to win. He went in for the TCU game on the road and then he finished up the Texas tech game and they beat Kansas. Right. Was that, I think that was where like two and a half games where Howard played. Right. And, you know, he was just kind of squeaking by, you know, K state beat TCU. I think by a touchdown, they had a pick six in that game. And, you know, he was just kind of squeaking by. And then once teams started to figure out that Will Howard really wasn't that good, it was a, a pretty easy code to crack, so to speak. So Howard's, Howard and Thompson really aren't too different as far as their actual play goes. I wouldn't expect, you know, the the coaches talked about this all the time last year, and this might've been coach speak, but they would always just say that, yeah, nothing with the playbooks changing. Howard knows all the plays. We're going to go, you know, apart. um, Pardon me. We're going to go, you know, business as usual. Doesn't matter who our quarterback is, our system, our schematics are staying the same. So I don't know if it changes that much, 
Um, I don't know how much of a runner Will Howard really is. If you look at high, uh, you know his high school tape, really didn't run the ball much. He was a lot more of a throwing quarterback. And last year, you know, we saw Howard running it a ton. That might have been just a, a system thing that they had to do, and, and that's what they had to work with. Or maybe Howard is a better runner than you know we we saw from his high school film. But I think they're two pretty pretty similar quarterbacks. And you look at Jake Rubley, who is a year younger than Howard. He's definitely you know we're talking a year from now has a really good chance to jump Will Howard um, and start in front of him. He's a good quarterback, but again, he's pretty much the same type of you know really good arm, a little inaccurate, but but Will Howard's definitely. Uh, made some some big steps forward he's gained a lot of weight he almost had sort of a baby face look last year now he looks like a man ready to play if Thompson goes out he'll be there and and like I said earlier don't be surprised if you see him in there with some special you know packages and stuff like that yeah so forgive me because I'm trying not to be the biased Kansas fan I watch what Skylar Thompson does and I I, you know and I look at the stats that he brings (laughs) And and I'm wondering what it is that the people that sing his praises are are seeing that I'm just missing because he doesn't jump out to me as doing any one thing particularly well. Um, yes, he his play was much better than than Will Howard last year, but again, like I easily attribute that the fact you throw a guy in in the middle of the season without him preparing to be the guy, right? You know, like he was essentially came into that season fully prepared to be you know, riding as the backup coming in occasionally where, where packages made sense or things like that and immediately got thrust into the spotlight there. Um, but I, 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 I'm struggling. What is it about Skylar Thompson that, that makes him the quarterback that a lot of people think are going to take Kansas State and actually make them super successful this year, at least compared to where they were last year? I know this is a, a very, very, you know, bland and vanilla answer, but it's just got to be experience, you know. It's his, this is his fifth year. You know, and he go. you go back to his sophomore year, you know, he's had some great moments when he was younger. Of course, he's beaten Oklahoma twice, you know, Oklahoma State on the road um, when he threw, you know, like, I think four touchdowns to Byron Pringle. Like he's had some good moments throughout his career. And I think the fact that he's just so he's experienced, he's been there, he's done that um, gives you optimism. You know, if you're a K-State fan, he's like you said, his arm is, you know, maybe a, a little bit above average, but that's about all I'd give him. I mean, he's he can run the ball, sure, but he's no Colin Klein or anything like that. But I think everything, just you look at the experience, that's kind of what he has for him. And he knows the playbook well. He was recruited by Chris Kleiman at North Dakota State. Um, so they've had a relationship for a long time. This wasn't something that started when he, you know, when Kleiman came to Manhattan. So I'd say it's just the experience. And if you're a K-State fan, that's what you've got to be, you know, hanging your hat on is that he's he's been there, he's done that, and I think the inconsistencies have been frustrating over the years, but when he's been good, he's been great. But when he's been bad, he's been, you know, kind of, you know, what's to say ugly at times. What's not, what's not, you know, um, sugarcoat that, but you know, you look at, you look at Thompson and you know, it is, he's got experience and that's probably what you're hanging your hat on. So, so is it safe to say, cause he kind of, and especially with, with the description you just gave, he seems to me to be an Alan Bowman type guy who, you know, has his moments, but isn't necessarily the most, either the most consistent or the most flashy guy. Um, but obviously he doesn't have quite the injury history that Alan Bowman does. But it, I mean, it, it seems like he's a guy that you can rely on to be middle of the road for the most part, have some good flashes at times, but usually is not going to go out and lose you the game. Does, 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 does that sound like a fair assessment? 
that's what you want if you're a fan for sure. Fair, yeah, fair. I agree. Okay, so so I guess that then leads into the question then because I think what we saw and where Kansas State has struggled is the fact that like last year, pretty much the only weapon that they had on the field was Deuce Vaughn. Um, as you were saying, you know, Malik Knowles didn't really step up. So what is it about the the talent that they have this year or even the development from last year to this year that like who, who are those people that we should be looking forward to take a step forward if Kansas State is going to be successful this year? Well, you know, you were definitely right about Deuce Vaughn. That was the code to crack. Once you stop Deuce Vaughn, you stop K-State's offense. But, um, you know, I'd, I mean, it's a, good, it's a tough question. And to have, a you know, someone to step up needs to be Malik Knowles, like I talked about. Um, and honestly, the, the buzz around Manhattan is the, the tight end group. I would say that's, I mean, obviously Deuce Vaughn's a heck of a player, no doubt about it. But the, the tight end group, I think, is going to have, as much of an impact as Deuce Vaughn and the running backs do in the offense. Sammy Wheeler's coming back. He's been banged up for a lot of his career. Um, Daniel uh, Imator Bebe, if I can ever say his name right, a transfer in, a tight end. You know, he's, uh, we've heard great things about him. So the tight end group will have to step up. Phillip Brooks at the wide out position, you know, they, you know, he needs to step up at, you know, people need to compliment each other. Deuce Vaughn needs somebody to, to take, you know, weight off of his shoulders. You know, you got to put, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. You got to, you know, disperse those guys out around the field. And if you do that, it becomes a lot tougher on the defenses. So, I mean, it's really a combination of everyone. I could give you, I mean, Malik Knowles, we all know who he is, but we know he needs to step up. Phillip Brooks, same thing, can, you know, make some plays on special teams, but needs to step up as well. So I'd say the tight ends really are going to be that one group that goes out and maybe does a lot better than they did last year. You know, K-State lost Briley Moore to the NFL didn't want to come back for his COVID year, you know, a solid tight end. He's going to have to be replaced. And I think that they'll get a good, a good job of replacing him tight end. So, so it, it sounds to me. And, and again, this is one of those things where I'm like, I'm trying to be as, as charitable as I can, but it sounds like Deuce Vaughn is still going to be like the main weapon for Skylar Thompson. Um, and then a tight end or two, you know, a, as we know in, in the big 12, especially with some of the good defenses and, and the secondaries that we have, you know, if you're going to be super successful on the offense and keep your offense out there and, and help out your defense, um, you have to have some deep threat. So who on Kansas State's roster is the best candidate to be that deep threat for Skylar Thompson to be able to air the ball out to and actually keep defenses on it so they can't just load up the box? Well, from everything I've been told, I don't think the Big 12 has any defense at all. That's what SEC fans tell me. But Well, well yeah, I mean, I mean than that. <laughs> SEC fans don't think anyone plays defense, uh, including yeah. themselves. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd say Phillip Brooks, probably to answer your question. I mean, just because he is that special teams guy for Kansas State. I mean, as far as like the home run hitter, I honestly think that Deuce Vaughn is – the answer, but I don't think that's, that's not what you're asking. You're looking for more of a downfield, you know, deep ball threat. Right. I'm, I right. think, and that's probably going to be Phillip Brooks, but I'd say Vaughn is the most explosive player that, that, that K-State has on offense. And, you know, he did it time and again last year where he broke out and, you know, huge plays, explosive plays. But as far as that, that down the field, you know, long ball that Thompson's going to be throwing, I think Phillip Brooks is probably going to have um, the best chance to get open. For sure. For sure. Okay. Um, I, I do want to jump over, over to the defense. Cause I think that's where a lot of the questions are going to be. But before we do that, I also want to ask about special teams. Cause it seems like Kansas state, like if you can rely on one unit every single year, it seems to be the special teams um, for, for this, this Kansas state Wildcats team. Um, you know, what 
is it going to be a similar setup to they had last year or like is what what's different on the special teams unit that can either help them take a step forward um, or at least just keep them where they were last year? Because uh, honestly, looking from the outside, they were probably one of the best return units in the entire nation last year. And for this Kansas State team to be successful, I think it probably has to stay about that that spot. Yeah, Bill Snyder's teams hung their hat on the the special teams and Chris Kleiman has kept that residue um, with that special teams unit as well. I don't think much has really changed with, with special teams. I think Phillip Brooks will still be there. Um, I know he took one to the house against Kansas, which I hate to bring up to you, but you no, know. you don't be <laughs> honest. You don't, you don't uh, hate it at all, <laughs> but Blake Lynch was their kicker. And to my knowledge, I'm not sure. I don't think anyone knows who's the kicker is going to be Ty Zentner, who is a punter might be going into that role, but I'm, I'm not sure to be honest. So that's a question mark as we head into the season for Kansas state, uh, but not much else with special teams is going to change, but you're right. That is something that K state always is, is, is really taking seriously. And that goes back to the Snyder days and, you know, with Tyler Lockett, Tremaine Thompson, all these guys that come to mind um, from Kansas state special teams group, you kind of wish Deuce Vaughn was there, but you don't want to get him banged up. Um, on a play on a punt or something like that. You know what I mean? So right. special teams though is certainly important. No doubt about that, man. So, so I'm, I'm going to ask for an early prediction here. How many either kick or punt return touchdowns is this team going to have this year? Ooh, I love these. Um, how about, how about you give me an over under and I'll take like a set. Oh, number gosh. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think pull here. up real quick. How many they had last year. You're putting me on the spot. I'd, um, I'd say probably four last year. I, I think, think that that, that that sounds right, and of course that was in ten games. So, so let's mm-hmm. let's let's go ahead and set it then at four and a half. Okay, I would probably take the under. I think four is a pretty good number to set it at. So I, I think four would be my answer. So I'd take the under on four and a half. But yeah, I think you're I right. Mean, because... They've got a game against you know Southern Illinois, right? That's probably going to give you one, and then out there you can th- find three others, right? Yeah, well, right. Yeah. So, so one there and then three others elsewhere. I mean, the other thing too, thinking about it, if they did actually did have four last year and I'll have to look it up to be sure. Um, but two of those came against, against Kansas. So mm-hmm. in the same game, I, I don't know that you're going to have another one just like that. Um, oh, you know what here? Actually, I think I found it. Returns. Oh no. You know what? It has everything on the return information except for, the touchdowns. touchdowns. That's hilarious. Wow. Because they have they have average yards, they have total yards, they have interceptions, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like they have everything except for touchdowns. Which is really, <laughs> really, really strange. But that's all right. All right. Maybe so, the number was zero then. No, it was definitely that's more than one because I know that they had two against KU. So all right. So we are gonna go ahead and shift over to the defense because like I said, I think that's where most of the questions are for this team. But before we do that, I do need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. If you love the Big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Forget the SEC, forget the Big 10, and forget national podcasts that only talk about Oklahoma and Texas. We talk about the Sooners and the Longhorns. We also talk about the Cyclones, the Cowboys, the Wildcats, the Mountaineers, the Jayhawks, the Red Raiders, the Horn Frogs, and the Bears. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 podcast and subscribe today. And we're back. All right. So I'm I'm here with uh, Ryan Gilbert of, of GoPowerCat.com talking about the Kansas State Wildcats. 
Uh, we've already talked about the offense and special teams, so let's jump over to the defense because, going to be honest, this is probably, like most teams in the Big 12, this is going to be the most important unit that will determine how good this team is this year. Um, you know, it was a really up and down year for them last year. Uh, you know, they had some games where they were really, really good, and then other games where, you know, it was honestly really, really bad. So what what do you expect from this team, and, like, where do you kind of set the baseline for what you might be seeing defensively from, from Kansas State this year? Well, it's unique because you look at this, this, this defense, and there's a lot of talent, a lot of athleticism. You know what I mean? There's a lot of good players on there, and you're right. You look back to last season, they had some really bad, you know, really, really just, uh, you know, atrociously embarrassing games. That Texas game is really what, you know, comes to my mind. And it was more than just a blown coverage or a miscommunication. It was, um, you know, there was like no effort there, you know, just not giving your hundred percent, like being soft on tackles. So, you know, that defense needs to step up this year. I mean, but again, like I, to revolve back to around, around what I just said, excuse me, is there is so much talent with this unit. So, you know, you got to give them credit where credit's due. You know, that Oklahoma game last year, a couple big turnovers in the fourth quarter, they held Oklahoma scoreless. So obviously the offense had the comeback, but the defense did their part to keep, you know, everything going right. So um, inconsistencies, man, we talked about it with offense, same thing with defense. I think the defensive line has a good amount of talent. Khalid Duke, you know, Jalen Pickle, Boom Massey, like those are guys that can compete in the trenches, but on the flip side, you lose Whitey Hubert to the NFL draft, you know, off to the Bengals. That's a big blow. Um, and, and personally, I think Whitey Hubert should have stayed another year. And as I say this, he, this was what, last week, I think it was announced that he tore his ACL. So he's out for the year. So it's, well, it's like tough. That's luck, man. no good. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if you would have stayed, man, you wouldn't have probably had that happen, but anyways, well, well, uh, or, or if you think about it the other way, uh, he might've actually torn his ACL in camp this year at Cape State and mm-hmm. then hurt his draft you know, his, his prospects of making a, a pro roster. So it, Very you know, true. you can, you can really kind of hit it either way there, but I, you know, I, I am most curious because it seems like at least for the, for, for as long as I can remember the big strength of this defense has always been the linebacking core. Um, for whatever reason, they just, they usually have one of the better linebacking cores in the entire conference. Um, and that usually is the anchor of their defense. So who, who in the linebacking core this year are you expecting to be the main guys that this defense can lean on to kind of make sure everything's going right? It's a good question. You could bring up a good point. I mean, Fletcher probably uh, Fletcher and green, you know, those two guys are probably going to be the two starters. Um, our own Ryan Wallace came out with a, a prediction on his, you know, starting uh, positions depth chart, you know, you know, what I'm trying to say the starting right, defensive right. group and he had green and Fletcher on there. So um, I would probably have to go with them, but I mean, that is definitely a bigger question mark than the, the than the defensive line I think that the secondary and the linebacking group you know those guys are gonna have to work a little bit harder than that D line you know you're got like a guy like Ross Elder who's gonna be in there probably a lot who I don't think I'm too comfortable with there's a couple of guys that I could say that you know Jerron McPherson's a very strong anchor at you know the safety position but overall that 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 linebacking group is gonna be a a um a place to watch. Let's say that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, it is a little weird because the way that you're describing it, it sounds like that might be actually the weakness of the defense this year. Um, mm-hmm. Or, or, or I guess really the unknown quantity of the defense this year, um, which is going to be quite an adjustment. I think for most people watching Kansas state, 
You know, we all saw last year where Kansas's biggest issue was the linebacking core, and everybody picked them apart right down the middle every time for you know four or five yards at every throw. So, I, I am kind of curious where you did mention the secondary. So, so to make sure we hit every every part of the defense here, um, you know, who who are the standout guys that you're expecting to be in that defensive back core? And uh, I mean, I guess really, who are the names that Big Twelve fans are going to want to know before the end of the season? I'd say Jerron McPherson would be uh, safety, the biggest name to know. He was him and Skylar Thompson represented K State at at Big Twelve Media Days, so that kind of gives you you know all you need to know with that. He's probably one of the biggest leaders, if not the the leader of the defensive side of the football. Um, I think with the free safety position, though, T.J. Smith um, is you know might be the starter there, but also Russ Yeast, a transfer that comes in to K State, could also compete for that spot as well. So that's something that we would want to keep an eye on um, as the season approaches, you know, who's going to be there. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I think it's a probably near a coin flip, but right now I'd probably say TJ Smith, but again, a lot can happen. Um, but I'd say that to, the name to look out for, get to know the guy you'll see a lot hear about on TV is going to be Jerron McPherson. Okay. Um Anyone else on the defense or, or anything else about the way that this defense is going to play this year that you think we all need to know about? Um, I, I wish I had more to say. I think Joe Klanderman, the defensive coordinator, has got a good, you know, like I said, good, talented group. And I think consistency, this is what Jerron McPherson talked a lot about um, at Big 12 Media Days was that, you know, consistency, consistency, consistency. You've got to stay consistent. You know, don't let one bad play turn into another bad play. you got to have a short memory when you're on the football field and, I, you know, like I said, a lot of talent on this side of the football. I know I've said that probably five times, but they've got to um, they've got to have it come together and and be more more consistent this year. You you've got the COVID year behind you. Hopefully, you know we we have a normal season coming up. So, uh, not much else to say. I think that the defense needs to step it up, and and same thing goes for the offense. I know we've said a lot about the defense, how how many question marks there are with them. I mean, we saw the offense looked pretty bad, get shut out by Iowa state last year. So both sides of the football, man, it's not just one or the other. They both need to step up. All right. So, so let's turn our attention here to the schedule. Um, Cause I mean, th- there are some, some big games here and obviously with the, the looming realignment, there's, you know, definitely some games are going to be a little bit more juice than they normally would be. Um, but let's, let's start with that non-conference schedule. Obviously opening the season with that big game against Stanford, um, neutral location. I'm trying to remember where that is. I, I believe it's down in Texas. In Arlington. Isn't it? Yeah. Arlington okay. stadium. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. seems really weird to have a game down there, but whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that would be, or at least it would appear to be on, on paper, the marquee game of the non-conference slate, but which, which one of those are you most looking forward to? And which one do you think is, um, I guess the most difficult one. I mean, is is it that Stanford game or is this Nevada team potentially going to be a, a little bit more difficult to deal with than, than, than most people would think? Conventional wisdom would probably tell you Stanford, and I would agree with that, but Nevada is not a bad team at all. And I'll be honest, I haven't researched them a ton, but everyone that I've talked to, um, everyone that's in the know says that this Nevada game is is not a bye game by any means, and it's going to be a tough one. Um and K-State's going to have a run for their money against Nevada, but I'd still have to go with Stanford. And it's funny, you, you mentioned it being a weird 
you know, a weird location for a game. And when this news first broke, Oh, that's I mean, right. I remember a <laughs> state fan was, just, I mean, there was kind of a divide. Half the fans were like, this is terrible. We're losing a home game. You know, other half was saying, this is great. You know, tapping into that recruiting market down there, you know, a good, you know, platform, Cowboy stadium, all that. But I think most K state fans now have come to accept it and are happy that they're playing in an NFL stadium. Um, but it's gotta be the most important game of the non-con. Uh, you know, especially with, with the realignment stuff going on, this is going to be, um, you know, the first window of the first Saturday of the first normal football season we've had since before the pandemic, right? So there is going to be a very big audience for this game, and this is going to be huge for Kansas State. We have a, a questions podcast that we do every week at Go Power Cat, and I swear at least once a podcast we're talking about how important this Stanford game is. There's always a question about it. Um, whether that's because of recruiting, realignment, it means something for so many different, you know, reasons. And it's really a, a catapult into um, conference play. If you lose to Stanford, you're going to have a really tough time competing against even the middle of the pack in the Big 12. If you can beat Stanford, and if you can do that pretty comfortably, I, I think that you're going to be in a really good spot if you're Kansas State. So I, I know we're probably going to go down the whole schedule here as we go, but I mean, it, Big 12 play, it's boom, boom, boom. Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Iowa State. Those are probably the three toughest teams you're going to play in the league. If you can beat Stanford, you can pick up a win in there. You're going to be in really good shoes uh, as the conference play rolls on. Yeah, I mean, so so that is where we're going to go next, that, that first three-game stretch, you know, at Oklahoma State for the Big 12 opener, then welcoming Oklahoma, and then Iowa State in back-to-back weeks. Get them both at home, but back-to-back weeks really early in the season. Are you actually, I guess really it's, would you rather have them this early? Like, do you, do you like the fact you have all three of those games right at the beginning of Big 12 play? Or would you rather have them either spaced out or later in the season if you were to have them all three together? That's a really good question. I, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of coaches would say the same. I really don't put too much stock into when you play a team. I mean, you look at K-State last year beating Oklahoma in, that was the first conference game. And then you have, uh, the year before that they played Oklahoma and that was in October, I think. So, you know, it really is kind of just like halfway through the season. So, I mean, they beat them both times beginning and then middle of the season. So I don't know how much stock I put into that. Um, But with those games against Oklahoma and Iowa state, those are both at home. And I do, I think that that means a lot, you know, if those two games are on the road and then you get, you know, Baylor, Kansas, West Virginia, TCU at home, you know, that's going to be a really tough Big 12 schedule. So I think K-State's fortunate, man. And, and like I said, if they can pick up a win, just one win, even if you beat Oklahoma State, you lose to Oklahoma and Iowa State, you're going to be in good hands for the rest of the season. But those three games, I mean, it sucks that you have them so early, but you do have that Stanford game, game one. So if you can squeak out of there 23-20 to 20 and win that game and then get your kinks worked out against Southern Illinois – and then you'll have another good test against Nevada. Hopefully you're going good into conference play. I think it's good that they have that Stanford game. Uh, I would change my answer. If they didn't play Stanford, I would say, yeah, you want to play Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Iowa, whatever, uh, Iowa State later on in the season. But since you've got that Stanford game, my answer would probably just be, hey, it doesn't matter when you play those three teams. You've already got uh, you know Stanford under your belt. That's a pretty average Big 12 team right there, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that that slates really well in terms of trying to to get a little bit of a preview. Um, I, I do agree, though. Like, it's I actually think it, it does matter in terms of having them early or not. 
Um, you know, Oklahoma, I think, is going to be such a good team this year that the longer you give them before you actually go face them, like the the harder it's going to be. Because because we saw yep. what happened last yep. year, they struggled early. They finally found their groove and just took off from that point forward. Now, granted, you're probably not going to win that Oklahoma game regardless of where it is on the schedule. Um, and so, like, it's not necessarily that much of an advantage. But but I also do think that there is there is something to be said about, you know, having all three of those games all together fairly early in the season so that if you aren't able to win any of them, you then have a much easier slate, you know, going to Texas Tech, um, you know, home against TCU than at Kansas. Like, you, you actually can start to build some momentum going into that season finale against Texas. Um, but of those three first Big 12 games, which one do you think Kansas State is most likely to be able to get if they get at least one of them? You would want to say Oklahoma State, right? But that's the first true road game of the season. So right, I, that's tough, man. I mean, part of me wants to say Oklahoma because they've done it the past two years. And, you know, part of you could say Chris Kleiman has the cheat code for Lincoln Riley, but then on the flip side to that, you could say, you know, Spencer Rattler, <laughs> that whole team is going to be, you know, really, really hungry for that game because of how last year went. So Iowa State's probably going to have to be my answer. I obviously, I don't know how you feel about Iowa State. I think they're a little overrated. Are they good? Are they talented? Yes, for sure. I believe they're a good team, but I still think they're a little overrated at this point. So I'm going to go Iowa State. And you you think if Kansas State loses to Oklahoma State in Oklahoma, like I kind of just alluded to, that's going to be a team that's going to say, hey, we need to turn this ship around right now. If we go 0-3 to start off conference play, it is going to be a deep hole to get out of. So I'm going to go with Iowa State simply because I think that, you know, between Oklahoma and Iowa State, let's, say, you know, let's be real here, Iowa State's the lesser of the two. If Boone Pickens has a full capacity – that's going to be a tough place to play down there in Stillwater. So I'm going to go with Iowa State here, but not by a lot. I mean, each of these three teams, there's reasons to believe that K-State can get the win over each of them. I mean, K-State, last time they went to Stillwater, had a pretty embarrassing game. But the time before that, they they pulled out a win against a top, I think, a top 15 Oklahoma State team. So anything can happen in these three games. But to answer your question, probably have to go Iowa State, Farmageddon. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely one of those, like, I, I would normally agree with you because of the fact that, you know, it comes after a bye, so they're going to have the opportunity to really use that mm-hmm. bye week. The only issue with that is that Iowa State plays Kansas the game before, and they also have a bye week right before. So it's not like you're going to get an advantage in terms of extra rest or anything like that. Um, I actually happen to think that Iowa State is at least on par with Oklahoma. I'm not sure who's actually going to win that game, but I, I do think that there's a really good chance that both those teams can be undefeated going into the you know second to last week of the season there. So... <laughs> It's going to be difficult, I think, for any of these games. I would not be surprised at all if they dropped all three of them. I would say, though, that if you're going to win one of these three, it's probably going to be that game at Oklahoma State because I I just think that Oklahoma and Iowa State are by far the two best teams in the Big 12 this year, and so you're going to have to get one super early. The nice thing, though, is that even if you do go 0-3, right, all the rest of the games on your schedule, I think including that that game at Texas to end the season, are easily – are easily winnable games. Like you should either be favored or at worst a coin flip in any of those games. And so, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a, oh my gosh, we, we can't go 0-3 or the season's done type of thing. It's going to be, even if we go 0-3, we still have a really good shot at turning it around, getting to a good bowl game, running through the rest of the season, you know, and making a push that if one of those top two teams slips, that we could try to eke our way into the Big 12 championship at that point. So I, I don't I don't necessarily see it as as an issue 
that first game at Oklahoma State um, necessarily being as big of an issue, especially since they are going to be playing Stanford in a non-home environment. Um, you know, so it's going to be, I think, a little interesting to kind of see how all that shakes out. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually do start 0-3, but at least remain competitive enough that people are still stoked about the rest of the season and how that's going to go. So next game at Texas Tech, you know, I've seen lots of people that are kind of both up or down, like depending on who you talk to, um, Texas Tech is either going to be really good and surprise people this year or going to be really bad and, you know, Matt Wells might get fired. So what are your personal thoughts on Texas Tech and how Kansas State matches up with them in this particular game? It's a good question. I mean, that with along with Baylor, who we'll talk about later, that's a team that's tough to get a read on because yeah. – you know, who are they, you know, first year head coach, you can't judge them off of that. And then last year was COVID. So, you know, I don't know what really, um, I don't know how to measure this team. I don't know how to gouge how they're going to be. So, you know, K-State probably got a little lucky to beat Texas tech last year at home without Skylar Thompson. Um, you know, there's Thompson said there was no bad blood, um, between those two, but I forget the name of the Texas tech player that, that injured him for the year, but, That'll be, you know, a storyline, I'm sure, for the game. But as far as that trip to Lubbock, I don't know really what I – I don't know what I see in Texas Tech. I'm with you. I, you know, I've heard both sides, so I don't really know what to expect from Matt Wells' program. I really don't. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where I I honestly think that I am probably lower on Texas Tech than most people. Um, It's just one of those things that Matt Wells has not really impressed me at all with the way that he – you know, he calls plays or, or the way that he really is, is kind of running that team. And it's definitely a, a show a year for him or else there is a good chance that he might get canned this year. Like if, if he loses to Kansas, you know, having lost in the first year and then almost losing in the finale last year, like if he goes loses two out of three and honestly should have been three out of three, um, I, I find it hard for him to do anything else except, you know, beat Oklahoma and Texas, which let's be real, that's not happening. That, that would actually save his job there. So it's one of those things where I'm a little... I'm probably a little bit more pessimistic on Texas Tech than most people just because I, I don't know that Matt Wells is actually going to be a good coach for them for the long term. So I, I do think, though, that Kansas State matches up really well with this Texas Tech team. I think it's going to be hard for Texas Tech to really get anything going. The real question is going to be, is their defense going to be able to frustrate Kansas State enough to keep that game close? If it happens, especially since it's in Lubbock, I think that could be difficult. But I, I would have to say that I think Kansas State is probably favored in this particular game. The next one is the one that I'd probably be worried about the day before Halloween at home against TCU battle of the purple. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a good shot that TCU might be the third best team in the big 12 this year. Um, I think that's going to be a really tough game, but, but what do you think about this particular game, especially since it's right before the rivalry game against Kansas out in Lawrence? I, I don't see K state getting too um, concerned about the, the next week against Kansas. I think they'll be focused on TCU um, I'm actually going to probably disagree with you. I don't know how high I am on TCU. You know, we see it a lot with Gary Patterson. He's a good coach, sure. But time and again in the preseason polls where TCU is is ranked pretty high. And, and I just don't see that. You know, you get a lot of those voters from the DFW market and, you know, they want to focus on the positives of TCU. And they'll look at a team like Kansas, Iowa State, Kansas State, West Virginia, and look at the negatives, you know, Oh, look what this team lost, but Hey, with TCU, look what they gained, you know, and don't get me wrong. TCU, uh, if I can remember correctly, it's one of the best, if not, you know, the best transfer classes in the big 12 this year. So they're going to add some pieces, but K-State went down there with Will Howard last year and beat them by a touchdown. 
And did they need some fortune in that game? Yes, absolutely. But they still beat a, you know, a TCU team that to my knowledge was a lot healthier than K-State was last year. I know Max Duggan had his issues with his, you know, with, with his heart, I believe, but, but still, I think K-State should handle this one. Um, I'm not concerned. I'd be more concerned about probably West Virginia and then Texas as well. I think TCU is a middle of the pack, big 12 team. I think Gary Patterson's on the tail end of his career. He's not burnt out yet, but he's not the same as he used to be. So I think K-State will have a test with TCU, but I see them getting past them with a win. I really do. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely something to be said that that Gary Patterson is is approaching the end of his career. The question is going to be how long he's able to hold on. And and I do think that this year is going to go a long ways towards either they start thinking about, hey, let's find a way that we can get everybody on the same page, you know, to start looking elsewhere. Um, or if he has a really good year this year, might be the the revival of his career and he can go on for another, you know, eight or nine years. So I, I really don't know. This is a super important year for them. And really, I think it just depends on how well you think their offensive line is going to hold up and how well Max Duggan is going to be able to, to, to really take that next step forward. So, but I, I mean, I do agree with you. I, I think that, especially since it's at home, that Kansas State should probably be favored in this game unless TCU is just killing people coming up into this game. But looking at it from like right now, I don't, I don't know if all the advanced metrics and everything actually favors K-State or TCU in this game, but I, I have to think, yeah, actually I'm looking at the FPI that ESPN has and TCU is a 75%, like 75% TCU and 25% K-State. I do think that's probably just because people aren't necessarily rating K-State's pieces as high, um, but it's definitely, I think, one that could swing a lot more in K-State's favor than a lot of people are are, are counting right now. So let's go ahead. Obviously, the big game of the year, the most important game of the year, is that game at Kansas, right? Um, given given what you've seen from this Kansas team, uh, well, actually, no, I I I can't even say that because we obviously can't use anything from the last two years under last miles. Gonna, it's going to be a completely different system. Yes, last year you guys absolutely slaughtered Kansas last year, um, but I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that you know you were down to your four string linebacker by that point, which made it so that. Kansas State could do pretty much whatever they wanted. And, of course, Kansas' offensive line was absolutely atrocious last year. Probably the worst offensive line, you know, a Power 5 team has ever had in all of football. So it's definitely, with the exception of maybe some of those early K-State teams, you know, before Bill Snyder took over and really got it turned around. So it's been really, really bad for Kansas' that offensive line. But with the brand-new system, do you have any kind of thoughts about how this game is going to shake out, or is this going to really depend on how well Leipold's system takes with Kansas before we get into this game. I don't know how much I can speak really about Leipold. I've heard good things about him and it's going to be a a change of pace from what Les Miles did. And, you know, say what you want about Les Miles, but the one thing he did do was, was fix Kansas's scholarship, you know, distribution. So he did get that fixed and, and set up, you know, Leipold for some success in that aspect. So again, I don't know how, he's going to do like, I really couldn't tell you that much, but if they can compete, you know, they play a uh, coastal Carolina and Duke, right. If they can compete in those games. I mean, I'm rooting for KU success. I really am. I want K state and KU to you know stick around in the big 12 or wherever they may go. I want them to stay together. I want that rivalry to be a thing. That's healthy for, for both of those schools to have that rivalry. I look forward to that game, you know, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, but Kansas, you know, I think maybe you can, probably come back to me halfway through the season and if Kansas starts competing and we see some you know some real 
you know, some real buzz around the football program, then I think that it'll be a good game. But, you know, if K-State pulls a Les Miles or, you know, any of these previous coaches and just gets blown out, I don't know how we're supposed to expect a different result. But I'm yeah. certainly rooting for KU success. I really am. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things where there is so much unknown at this point. And, and you know, it is a kind of a similar sort of thing where, you know, Kleiman comes into Kansas State having been super successful at a lower level, whereas, you know, um, you, you can really say the same thing about Leipold being super successful down in T3 and then coming up and completely rebuilding a Buffalo program, taking them from, you know, one and two win seasons all the way up to a perennial contender in, in the MAC for, you know, his, his final three years. So it's definitely something where Kansas is going to have an opportunity here and Leipold's going to have an opportunity to really build the program into something. But it does take a while to do that kind of thing. And so, like, I don't know this year, like, this year, whether this game is competitive is going to entirely depend on how fast Kansas's personnel takes to his system and is able to really incorporate it and start performing well under it. Um, I, I do agree with you, though. Like, as we're looking into, you know, after the Big 12 is over or if the Big 12 is able to somehow man- magically survive, because I'm having a hard time seeing how it's going to happen, but, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a bad thing, at least from a fan rooting perspective. You know, I, I do think, though, we are at a situation here where if for whatever reason Kansas and Kansas State can't, end up staying in the same conference because the entire thing just completely blows up and, you know, and they can't find a home in the same conference. We're much more likely to continue this non-conference series and continue this, this rivalry than like Kansas was with Missouri because there was a lot of bad blood there. I think just the nature of the way that this is, is like that, you know, teams might be a little bit upset with each other as they split because we weren't able to keep it all together. But I think everyone recognizes that, any of the eight remaining teams in the Big 12 right now is not at fault if the Big 12 completely implodes at this point because Texas and Oklahoma dealt everyone a bad hand and they have to make the best out of it. It's a matter, just a matter of what happens there. So I definitely agree with you. I'm hoping that the rivalry continues. I actually do consider this a rivalry. I know that there are a lot of Kansas fans that don't, and there's a decent number of K-State fans that also are kind of just like, eh, not competitive enough in, in either of the two major sports for it to really be a rivalry. It's more of just a, you know, good team beating up on a bad team, but I do enjoy these games. There's a lot of fun that comes along with them. And so I'm looking forward to continuing them, but we'll just have to kind of see how all that shakes out. But any other thoughts about Kansas or, or this particular game or anything related to what we just talked about before we move on to the last three games? Nah, you hit it on the head, man. I mean, Perfect. I would love to, I, I love the rivalry and I think it is still indeed a rivalry. Yep. I, I think it always will be. It's not like the one against Mizzou where yeah, everybody hated each other. And it was a rivalry while we were playing. But I'm going to be honest, as a Kansas fan, I don't know that I really miss those Mizzou games anymore. They were so hateful. It was so horrible. You know, like I couldn't go to Columbia without at putting a Columbia or, or, or like a Mizzou tag on my car and my car not get keyed. Even if I had nothing that indicated I was a KU fan, every single time you went out there, they, they, wow. they really did not like anybody that wasn't a Mizzou fan out there. And so it's just a completely different level when you go out there, this is at least a fun rivalry. We can rib each other. I think it's helpful that one of us is really good in one of the sports compared to the other and vice versa. So there's at least some, some, some accomplishments. And, you know, if I put you guys down about basketball, you can turn right around and throw football in my face and Hey, it works. But that being said, let's jump to the final three games of the schedule home against West Virginia, home against Baylor at Texas. I think we all know which one is the most important of those three games. But let's talk about the West Virginia and the Baylor game really quick before we get to that Texas finale. Yeah, I think West Virginia has got one of the best defenses in the Big 12, so that'll be a tough one for K-State. 
Um, K-State had its first conference loss of the season against West Virginia on the road in Morgantown after that 4-0 hot start that they had, even without Skylar Thompson. And then the year before that, when West Virginia was pretty down, uh, K-State was upset in Manhattan by the Mountaineers. So I think K-State's going to be hungry for this one. And obviously, they, you know, every team wants to win every game, no matter what opponent, you know, it is. But I think there might be a little something extra there with, with West Virginia just because of the frustration there. You know, Neil Brown's got the best of Chris Kleiman. And, and Kleiman's going to want to, you know, show everyone that, you know, he can compete or at least he wants to compete in the Big 12. So the West Virginia game and, and then the Baylor game as well with the third-year head coach with Aranda. And, boy, I saw a, tw- a video of him on Twitter today, and he was fired up in practice. I didn't know he had that much charisma and, you know, all that with him. But both of those games, I view them, I guess, pretty similarly. I think West Virginia is the better team there. But those are games that, uh, you know, K-State fans at the, at the time of, of the game they're going to be expected and probably favored to win. The West Virginia one game, that game might be a little iffy, but the Baylor game, that's a, a team that won two games last year, you know, that loses their quarterback. So if you lose that game to Baylor, then you're obviously going to be upset. And before we get to that Texas game, I think there'd be some remiss if I didn't mention the fact that K-State's going to win a game. I don't know if it's that Oklahoma game, the Iowa State game. They're going to win a game they're not supposed to win. They have no business winning. And they're also going to lose to Baylor or maybe, you know, Texas Tech, TCU, they're going to win a game they're not supposed to. They're also going to drop a game that they were supposed to win. So, I, you know, overall here, before we get to the Texas game, though, that West Virginia or Baylor game might be one of those games that they do drop that maybe not a lot of people expect were expecting them to do so. Yeah, so I, I am curious. Before we actually, well, let's, the, the actual game at Texas, you know, it'll be the final game uh, down in Austin, most likely going to be the final game for Kansas State down in Austin as a member of the, you know, with everybody as a member of the Big 12. Uh, how big are you circling that game in terms of one that, you know, think is going to be super important and kind of set the tone for whatever relationship the rest of the conference has going into the next few years? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm rooting for every team, even Kansas. Oh, of course. Uh, every team that plays Oklahoma and Texas, you know. And especially you know, down the line, if they ever play each other in a bowl game, I would love for that to happen. But, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, they're going to be a, a target on their backs all year long. And this, you know, really, like you said, could be the last game Texas ever plays in the Big 12. Um, I, you know, there is a chance, though, that, that Texas and Oklahoma come to their senses and say, hey, let's not leave until 2025 because we don't want to, you know, lose all this money. But we'll see what happens. But like you said, it could be the last game they play in the Big 12. Uh, you know, K-State's going to give them their best shot. And, and this happened last year, actually, where K-State and Texas played the last game of the season um, here in Manhattan, and Texas blew them out. And you you got to have energy left in the tank, but you've also, you also need motivation here for the last game. You know, K-State and Texas both really weren't playing for anything. But Texas, I give Tom Herman a lot of credit for that game. He had his guys ready to play. And they kicked K-State's butts. You know, Chris Kleiman, for whatever reason, didn't have his guys ready to play. Like I said earlier, maybe it was was because he was just kind of shutting down the season. And, you know, I think the proof is in the pudding there with with K-State not wanting to go to a bowl game. They kind of blamed it on COVID and said they had a COVID issue. But, you know, they didn't want to go to a bowl game because they were just kind of turning the page on the season. But, you know, with, with the actual game at Texas – it is a tough game simply because it's a Friday game on the road at 11 a.m. So you have a short week, whereas Texas, I mean, it's also a short week for them, but they're not having to travel, you know, all the way um, across the Midwest, so to speak. So 
you know, a tough game. Texas has a lot of talent. You know, Coach Sark, I've heard good things about him. Um, a lot better person than Tom Herman probably is. Right. So, you know, I don't know what to expect from this Texas team. You know, the quarterback, you know, losing Ellinger, um, you know, who, I mean, John Robinson's obviously going to have to step up in a big way and take some weight off of the offense's shoulders. But this is kind of another one, like I said, with Kansas. Like, I don't really know what to expect. And I know I've said that with a lot of these teams, but like halfway through the season, I, you know, we should have a good understanding of, hey, K-State's going to have a good chance to compete in this game or nah, K-State's, you know, they're, they're toast. They're done. Yeah, uh, it could I, go either way at this point. I was going to say, I think that's kind of the story of the entire year. Like, with the exception of the first few games, there's so much unknown about the way that Kansas State's going to, you know, sure, yeah. perform throughout the year. And some of these other teams, especially the ones that are going to be playing towards the end of the season. Uh, final question for you. Which one do you think is going to be more important for this Kansas State to, team to win? The game at Kansas or the game at Texas? Um, I would say... That's a good question. I think that if Kansas doesn't really make some huge improvements, I don't know how much stock is going to be put into that game. You know, if K-State is 0 and what, 8 or whatever going into that game, then there probably won't be that much of a buzz around it. So I would have to go with Texas. But if K-State, you know, if I don't know what, when does KU play like Tech and Baylor, if those games are before K-State and they, and they beat those teams and KU has a win or two in conference, then I think that that Kansas game becomes more important. So it kind of depends on, you know, is Kansas competitive or not? If they are, then I think right. that KU game is more important. If not, probably Texas. Um, yeah, theoretically, the Kansas' schedule is set up so that if they were to be able to beat Baylor and Texas Tech, because both of those games are at home, um, mm-hmm. they would come into the Kansas State game, uh, it looks like, uh, four and four, most likely, because they'd be playing, you know, I, I would assume that they probably are going to lose at Coastal Carolina, at Iowa State, versus Oklahoma and then at Oklahoma State. And if they were somehow able to win those four games, the you know home against South, South Dakota to open up the season, home against Baylor, at Duke, and then home against uh, Texas Tech, like they would be four and four coming to this game. I think the game in general would be completely hyped. But I'm also kind of curious, even if Kansas is like really bad and only won the South Dakota game, but has remained somewhat competitive, like if, if we operate under the assumption that you're going to win one of those games and lose one of those games, do you think that there is a con- or a a noticeable difference between how that would be received, whether they lose to Kansas and but then beat Texas at the end of the year, or beat Kansas but then aren't really that competitive against Texas at the end of the year? I think most K State fans do not want to lose to K State at all or to K right. at all, which so is probably fair. Be my answer, but it's also kind of yeah. I mean, and and, and that's kind of one of those things where it's like I I kind of assume that the K State game is much more important if you know you're only going to win one of them, but. I also do think that it's kind of one of those things where if you look back at the end of the season and Kansas State's able to jump up and bite you and they are somewhat respectable, you can kind of, you know, chalk that one out to a rivalry that eventually Kansas was going to beat Kansas State at some point again anyway, and you beat Texas to potentially send them out of the Big 12 with a really bad loss, you know, um, mm-hmm. not, 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 not necessarily bad in that Kansas State is really bad and, you know, they have no business beating Texas, but more of a you're going to get clobbered at home to end the season your last season in the big 12 like i think if that's the dynamic there i think it will be excusable but i do agree with you that i think it's probably going to be preferable for any kansas state fan to always beat kansas no matter what else happens so yeah all right um that's going to do it for us today but before we get out of here any final thoughts you want to leave us with or any other topics you wanted to hit before we get out of here 
Now we, we pretty much covered a lot, man. I mean, I'm just excited for a regular football season, you know, knock on wood here coming up and, you know, K-State, the over-under for the win total is five and a half. I'm hammering the over. That's one of my, one of my bets for the season. I mean, you pick up a win against Stanford, like we kind of talked about, that kind of gives you a nice springboard into the season. So, um, and also with KU, man, I mean, it's one win. I mean, they're, they're going to win right. at least one game, right? There's no way they're going to go, oh, oh, they for better. the season. They so. better beat South Dakota. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm probably going to place those two bets with overs. But, I mean, other than that, though, just just excited, man, for football and to get back to some normalcy. So, yeah, if, if you did have to pick a record, like what, what do you think the most likely record for Kansas State is this year? I'd probably go more seven and five, six and six. I'll go seven and five. I think this team could be nine and three. I really do with those three losses to begin conference play and they win the rest. I mean, that wouldn't surprise me, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they, uh, I'd say six and six is their floor. Like I think this team will make a bowl game no matter what, even if Tom's, you know, like worst case scenario, we're talking, you know, there's all these issues in the locker room. Skylar Thompson goes out for the year. That's worst case scenario. They're going six and six. I think their ceiling's nine and three, but I'll go, right there near the middle at seven and five. Sounds fair. All right. Well, Ryan, thank, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Where can the people find your work online? Uh, on gopowercat.com. You can check out all the work we do there. Um, me and my crew do an amazing job as football season's coming around. And then I'm on Twitter at GPC Ryan G. Awesome. Well, again, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe to the podcast and get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments would be absolutely great. If for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Um, we are on the anchor platform now. So if you want to leave us a voicemail so we can get your voice on the show, just go to anchor.fm slash rock dash chalk dash podcast slash message. And we can leave that there. I promise I'll get it on the show. Um, we are on the 1012 network now, a bunch of great people doing a bunch of great work covering all the teams in the big 12. So definitely go out and catch every other show that we have on the network. I promise you're going to get a lot of really great information about all these big 12 schools. So that's on Twitter at 1012 network. That's T and the number one, two network. That's going to do it for us tonight, though. Ryan, thanks again for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Network.